I did not grow up in the United Church of Christ. I grew up in many different denominations, and in 2014, the church that I was then a part of, that Sam and I were a part of, made the decision to move from our current denomination into the United Church of Christ, and I also decided to begin the process of becoming an ordained minister. And I started seminary that fall. And it was like two weeks before seminary started that our church decided to make this transition. And I was okay with it. It was definitely the right decision for us. The thing I was most concerned about was that I was leaving the uh, network of people that I knew in this previous denomination and coming into a whole new system where I didn't know anybody. So I show up on the first day of seminary for, uh, um, I almost said ordination. What's that called? Orientation? That's, there we go. Thanks. That's the word. And I sat down uh, in this, you know, they split you up into groups. I sat down uh, next to this lady, and, and I said, hi, I'm Beth. And she said, hi, I'm Joyce. And, uh, and she said, you know, where are you from? Because seminary, there's all kinds of people. And I said, well, you know, our church, long story. She said, I'm part of the United Church of Christ. And I hadn't yet met anybody except for one association official who was part of the UCC. And you guys, the Lord knows what we need. Because the one thing that I was really concerned about was losing my people. And the very first day that I went to seminary, God sat me down next to the woman who knows everyone in the United Church of Christ. Her name is Joyce Euler. She is my seminary best friend. We would not have gotten through seminary without each other. There was lots of praying and prying, prying, prying and praying in bathrooms and reading each other's papers. And uh, so anyway, you have the very great privilege of hearing Joyce preach today. We have invited her to come and be our guest speaker as we continue through our journey on the book of Acts. So I'll give you a little bit of intro and then you can go up to the Brian and I will read the scripture for you and then you'll have the privilege of hearing Joyce preach. So the season of Easter, as we've mentioned, lasts for 50 days which means that we have six Sundays between Easter and Pentecost. But our New Testament doesn't really have six Sundays worth of stories between Easter and Pentecost. The Gospels end and Acts picks up right at the beginning. So we're fast-forwarding a little bit as we, as we uh, look at the book of Acts. This morning's story, like last week's, also comes from the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit has come upon the early church and the message is starting to spread. The message of Jesus is beginning to move beyond the geographic and cultural boundaries of Judaism, although most Jesus followers at this point are still Jewish, which means that there is natural tension happening between these two different people who both perceive themselves as groups of Jews, people who are Jews and follow Jesus and people who are Jews and don't follow Jesus. This is long before Christianity gets endorsed by the empire. At this point, this rapidly growing movement is an underdog movement. It has no political power. It has no social power. It has no military power. It has no ability to force or coerce anyone to accept Jesus. The power of the movement at this point is the powerful evidence of enthusiastically changed lives, which is still the best power that we could possibly have. At this point in the story, Jerusalem has become a hub 
for the movement, but no one is really in charge. Although, in any, as, as you would find in any movement, people who love the mission and who are willing to serve are starting to gain some responsibility and influence. The people who want to do the work are naturally rising up to do the work. But because there's very little infrastructure, everything, every big change is instigated by the Holy Spirit and agreed upon by the whole body of believers. In this morning's story, we see an example of this kind of decision-making and also some of the challenges that are faced by the early church as they spread the message of Jesus. So let us listen now in the reading of Scripture for the word and the wisdom of God. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas. There was Simeon, who was called Niger. There was Lucius of Cyrene. There was Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And there was Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. They went to Lystra, and in Lystra there was a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that this man had the faith to be healed, and so Paul called out, Stand up! Stand up on your feet! At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form! Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing... You good news, telling you to turn from the worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you the rain from the heaven and the crops in the season. He provides you with plenty of food and, and fills your heart with joy. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas had difficulty keeping the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. And this is the word of God for all people. Good morning. Before I begin the message of the text that we just heard from Pastor Beth, I want to start by bringing you some greetings. I bring you greetings from the Ohio Conference of the United Church of Christ. There are 338 churches in Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and West Virginia that together make up our United Church of Christ here in this conference. And we are all in covenantal ministry together with one another. 
So as a representative of the conference this morning, I bring you greetings. Likewise, I always bring, also bring you greetings from the Central Southeast Association of the Ohio Conference of the United Church of Christ. We have all of these different covenantal groupings and settings of which we are a part. Uh, but it is important that we recognize that we are one body together in ministry. And I also want to point out to you that the offerings that you share through our church's wider mission, often referred to as OCWM, those dollars are alive and at work and doing wonderful things for God's people thanks to generosity like the generosity shown here. So thank you for that. Oh, this passage today is interesting. I want to start by telling you a little story. Things don't always work out like we might plan, and they often have an ironic or a little comedic twist to them. So there was a man who wanted to take a vacation, and for some reason he had settled on either Dallas or Seattle. So he called a travel agent. Yes, people still do actually call travel agencies and talk to live bodies. They don't do everything online. So he called the travel agent and he said, I want to take a vacation. I don't have a lot of money to spend. I'd really like to go to Dallas, but Seattle would be okay as well. So what can you do for me? So the travel agent did some clicking around and, and did some looking and came back and said, well, sir, I can get you a flight to Dallas for $450. That's not a bad price at all. The time of the flight isn't the most convenient, but it's a direct flight. There are no layovers. Now, I can also get you a flight to Seattle for only $300. It's quite a savings. Timing is similar. I can offer you one free checked bag if you like. And, and so you need to decide. Do you want the more expensive flight to Dallas, or do you want the less expensive flight that will take you to Seattle? Well... I guess the flight to Seattle sounds like a better option, the man said. I really had hoped to take my vacation in Dallas, but it sounds like Seattle may be, may be what I should do. The travel agent went on to say, now this flight to Seattle isn't a direct flight. You should be aware of that. There is a layover. Oh, the man asked, and, and where's the layover? Dallas. <laughs> So when we think that we know where we're going and what we're going to do and how we're going to be getting there and what happens when we get there, sometimes life throws a twist at us. So this morning we're hearing this story about Barnabas and Paul, identified by the Holy Spirit from among the prophets and the preachers and the teachers as the ones to be commissioned through the laying on of hands and then sent on their way. That small portion of the passage we heard today could be an entire message all on its own. And it's one that is important to you as a family of faith. I remember not that long ago a gathering that took place here in this sanctuary. People gathered from many geographical locations, from several worshiping communities and faith traditions, from various ways of knowing one another and connecting with one another, and we all sang together, and we worshiped together, and we laid hands on Pastor Beth, ordaining her and sending her on her way into ordained ministry. That moment was a culmination of years of prayer and conversations and doubt 
and questions and fears and more prayer and lots of papers and as she indicated, prayers in bathrooms and all kinds of fun occurrences and a collective understanding that yes, the Holy Spirit was indeed calling Beth to this life of authorized and ordained ministry. God's people gathered here to recognize, to name, and to celebrate what the Holy Spirit had set in motion for Pastor Beth and for God's church. Now, I know a little bit about Beth's journey, so I know that there were moments, just like the man in my story, when she was faced with some crazy situations, some crazy decisions. She really wanted to go to Dallas, but ended up being presented with other options and other twists and other ironies, and the Holy Spirit does work in interesting ways. Sometimes our most challenging task as people of God is to discern, then trust, and then act on what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So back to Barnabas and Paul. They've been set apart, authorized by their faith community, and sent on their way. Their journey wasn't a smooth one. They weren't necessarily greeted warmly and with open arms everywhere that they went. In fact, they ended up in Lystra because they had to make a hasty exit from Iconium, where they were on the verge of being stoned by members of both the Jewish and the non-Jewish community because their message of inclusion and salvation for everyone was just too much for some people to accept. Now the people in Lystra started out exactly the opposite. Not only did they accept and believe, they were so excited that they started talking to one another in their native language, which Paul and Barnabas didn't understand, and they decided that these two must be gods. It immediately took my brain back to the Pixar movie of um, El Dorado and the folks showing up as, and being accepted as gods. They responded a little differently than Paul and Barnabas did. And they didn't think that these were just any ordinary gods. They, they thought they were Zeus and Hermes. These are some pretty major gods in that time. So they instinctively began to follow their customs and their rituals and were ready to prepare a sacrifice to honor these two gods. But Paul and Barnabas weren't going to have anything to do with that. In fact, their immediate reaction was their tradition's sign of distress and grief. They began tearing their clothes and exclaiming, what are you doing, friends? We're not gods, we're humans, just like you. This wasn't what they were expecting from their time in Lystra, and it wasn't the reaction that they were going for. Their call, no matter how extraordinary the acts may have been that they performed, their call was to point the way to God, not to be seen as God. 
I struggled when I was preparing this message, whether I wanted to use this example or not, but I do think it helps to put this passage in a current context. We've all seen athletes who make gestures or do dances or somehow celebrate when they have scored in a game. Now, I've always been fond of the basketball players who, after scoring a basket, will immediately point to the player who provided them with the assist, the indicator that they didn't score that basket all on their own, but they had support and assistance from another player. It feels very humble and very relational to me. Then there's the football players who, upon taking the ball into the end zone and scoring a touchdown, will sometimes drop to one knee and bow their head, or they'll look to the sky and point to the heavens. Now, I struggle with a theology of a God who devotes God-like energy (laughs) into helping one athlete score points and helping one team win the game, especially when that implies that God was working against the other team. That's not my God. But there is something to be said for an athlete who acknowledges, especially in our culture of hero worship and adoration, there's something to be said for an athlete who acknowledges that their talents and their skills and their gifts that allow them to play their sport as well as they do are gifts from God. This acknowledgement that they didn't achieve this superstar status all on their own is important. So for all the visuals of tearing their clothes and stopping the sacrifices and persuading the people of Lystra to abandon their own old superstitions and embrace our living God, I really think the basic message that Paul and Barnabas are sharing in this setting is this. They are not God. We are not God. None of us are God. God alone is God. And as we heard, even though God allowed the earlier generations to go their own ways, just to look around at God's creations, the rain that falls from the sky, the bounty that comes from the earth and the sea, will point us back to the glory that is our God. When our bellies are full and our hearts are happy, there is evidence of good beyond our doing. God can and does do amazing things through us when we're open to the calling of the Holy Spirit. Feeding ministries, offering a warm place on cold nights, sharing our resources with the wider church, offering a lending ear to someone simply sitting with a person in pain. These are just a few examples of how we can use our God-given gifts and talents to serve God's people as we are called to do. These are all wonderful ministries, ministries of which we should be proud. The key is remembering 
that it is the Holy Spirit that calls us and moves us. It is God working through us that brings the results from our ministries. So like the athlete pointing to the heavens after scoring a goal, perhaps one way that we proclaim the good news, perhaps the most important way that we proclaim the good news is to always see what we do as the finger pointing to God. So that in all we do, in all we say, we remind ourselves and we lead others to remember that we are not God. God alone is God. And thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.